Learning that the chain of command is just the rusty chain warlock snark beats us with until we remember who is in command. We are the true sound of the Under Empire, 665.66 UHMR Radio Free Skaven Blight. Do you think they'll finally let us out of this closet if we promise to do sponsored ads for Warpstone Energy? Warpstone Energy, now in limited edition Morsley, Mango, and Lustria Lemon flavors. Not for consumption by broodmothers and others sensitive to the madness of the warp. News from the front, Warlock Engineer Widget Scarsnout has unveiled his newest triple-barreled warp lightning cannon, only managing to vaporize 30 clan rats who stood just a little too close to the business end. I can hear the walls of Marienburg quaking in fear already. Petitioning our overseers to let us venture into Mordenheim so we can collect that sweet, sweet weird stone. I am your host, Goblin King. Joined by the Pathfinder Supreme and Lore Master of Ancient and Forgotten Stones, the Priestess Skink of the Emerald Isle, Emmy. Hey, guys. And drowning his sorrows in the funeral dinge of metal music because no one understands him, it's our very own gothy elf boy, Chuckerfly. Hey, just on a side note, when you, when you got those rusty chains, that rust is a pretty good pick-me-up sometimes. It's a little tangy, but <laughs> it gets you through the night. It's got what plants crave. <laughs> Love it. So, so what were you telling us, Emmy? What, 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 what was somebody telling you at the tavern the other night? <laughs> oh yeah, over a game of 40k, the tournament. Hey girl, is your pussy Marnie's Kelgar? Cause uh, old one eye here is ready for the tyrannic invasion. <laughs> uh, that's uh. Oh man. Jesus I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I wouldn't want it to be like Marnie as Calgar. Uh, it would just be grumpy and uh, huge. <laughs> There's I mean, like a fist yeah. joke in there somewhere too. You don't, you don't want, you don't want <laughs> old one eye bottoming out. No, wait, wait. Would old one eye bottom out or smash up the sides? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think old one eye would probably, uh, yeah, bottom out. You don't think he's a little chody? I'm just wondering. <laughs> I mean, like, as a model, he's about the diameter of a tuna can. That's all I'm saying. I mean, it's uh, like a muffin. I mean, when you're, what are your, what are your comparing muffin. sizes? You know, you got your, you got your C rations. <laughs> a, 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 you got your caffeine cup. Which do you prefer? <laughs> oh my God. Hey, welcome everybody to the realms of madness. <laughs> oh god! Oh god! Yeah, oh, it's like fuck. it's like one of those Costco muffins. You can get a sample. <laughs> I mean, that that is the tier motive. I mean, they would be at Costco taking little bites of all the muffins everywhere. Hey, baby, I put the ass in biomass. It's <laughs> not helping me get back on track. Oh, I fucking love it. That's fucking great. I was great. trying to think, like, there, there's, you know, Malleus Calgar holding the gate against the green tide. <laughs> like, just all sorts of things. My brain is just, anyway. Oh, my oh God. God. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for getting it. Is that green tide's coming, baby? Can you uh. hold the gates? It's just, Why is it it's green? just, it's spurting Hell. everywhere. Why is it? Uh, too... <laughs> Fuck! Why is it green? Is it what happens when you eat too much you, asparagus? Do you need a, you need a servo skull to clean that up. 
<laughs> oh my god. Okay. I don't know everybody can see, but for three, six, or nine dollars, you can see the lovely servo spells. You could see. Oh my god. He's holding up. Here, here. Just because it's so cool. I gotta make it do the thing again. She's gotta get out her bony boy. It lights up. That's so dope. That's such an awesome prop. <laughs> it's so cool. I'm gonna get one of those um, cat backpacks with a bubble in it so oh, I can add the, the, to the oh tubes to the mask for the tech priest and stick them in there so you can see them on my little That's awesome. tech priest backpack. That's super awesome. Yeah. I'm really excited about the costume, so it's gonna look dope. That is gonna, that's gonna look super so dope. So many zeros and ones. It's gonna be so cool. Welcome to episode 8 of Under the Realms of Madness, the Skaven, Warpstone, and the Winds of Magic. I tried to do a Lion, the Witch, and the oh. Wardrobe, it didn't quite work. But, you know, the Skaven, the Warpstone, and the Winds of Magic. I see it. Warhammer Fantasy is a very traditional fantasy setting, existing somewhere between Tolkien and Dungeons and & Dragons, often leaning more on traditional historical tropes, as the game's origins actually come from the world of historical miniature wargaming. If you guys want a little bit more about that, and this is your first episode, first... Off. This is our fourth episode covering the Skaven, but our second episode of the podcast overall released back in 2020 or 2019, one of those years, years ago at this point, we actually covered the history of wargaming. Like most fantasy settings, magic has an impact on the world and how it functions. In world building, which we talk about a lot here on the show as well, it's often common to break down any system like magic and figure out the rules that govern that system. In the case of magic, since that's what we're looking at, we look at the differences between something that we call a hard magic system, meaning it has a lot of rules and interactions, or a soft magic system, which basically means anything can be hand-waved away as magic, rather than being defined by a system of rules. And this can be applied in general to things like the Force, which is essentially just magic in Star Wars, or big pieces of technology, things that don't have a lot of grounding in our world specifically so you have to kind of like apply different things to it to give you some examples harry potter is a soft magic system there isn't a defined cost for using magic and any problem that might exist can be overcome by magic and even as the harry potter universe gets deeper what magic can do and what it can't do shifts depending on the needs of the characters at a given time Soft magic in this case, and Star Wars would be another kind of soft magic system, is the Deus Ex Machina. A really, really core example of this inside of the Harry Potter verse, the Harry Potter universe, is the time, wow, the time shifter? The time turner? Yeah. She uses it for that one movie, that one book, and then she never uses it again. But that is such a powerful item, and that magic actually breaks the magic system that's explained up till that point. And then after that point, they just act like it never happened. On the other side, we have Full Metal Alchemist that has an incredibly hard magic system. It's governed by something called the Law of Equivalent Exchange. There are chemical formulas and physical equations that are used as part of the ritual. And it essentially, all of these rituals, the magic system converts one type of matter into something else. This is incredibly practically illustrated in the show during times where the characters attempt to resurrect several different deceased people. In fact, I am not super familiar with Full Metal Alchemist. I've never actually watched all of it, but I know a little bit of the story beats. One of the (laughs) brothers is essentially an animated suit of armor, and 
the other because one is missing his arm because they yep. tried to resurrect their mom. And then later on, they try to resurrect somebody else and some horrible things happen with the dog. I, that's oh, I'm, that's like, not them. Yeah. That's somebody else trying to resurrect somebody. They turned their but daughter into a dog. But it's the same system, right? It's it's the yep, same yep. story. It's, the give, it's yeah. supposed to be the so, give and take, yeah. Yeah. The Law of Equivalent Exchange is a really good example. Another example, if you're not familiar with Full Metal Alchemist, is The Wizard's First Rule or The Wheel of Time. The Wheel of Time and The Wizard's First Rule are two different book sets written by two different authors, but they were authors that were friends. Robert Jordan and Terry Goodkind were friends. The Wizard's First Rule, uh, there are two types of magic in that series and those are additive and subtractive magic and additive magic Mm -hmm. can add something to the world but something has to be consumed something has to be subtracted in order for it to happen as an example one of the wizards uses magic to grow his beard but as he's using the magic to grow his beard uh he has to essentially kill a chicken like that that's how he's describing it to the person he's teaching how to use magic he steals the life force out of a chicken on the farm and then he uses mm-hmm. the life force to like grow his beard. And essentially the lesson there is like this is a very frivolous use of magic. I see. What about the world of old school runescape where in order to cast magic spells, you have to mine runestone, forge the stones into runes, expend the runes and say specific incantations to use magic. Those are, is that like a hard magic system? It's closer to a hard magic system than a okay. soft magic system. Being that the Winds of Magic, which we're going to talk about here in a couple of, of minutes, is a gaming magic system. Right. We'll talk a little so bit. Oh, much fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not completely black and white, though, and a lot of magic systems in popular fantasy exist somewhere on a spectrum between the two. Tolkien's magic system from Lord of the Rings is an example of something that is on the soft side of the middle. Lots of lore and anecdotal evidence exist to suggest what magic can do, but the rules are never defined, allowing Gandalf and the other wizards to do just about anything without violating the system. Materia and other mana sources in the Final Fantasy games, yes, we were going to talk about this, fall more on the side of hard magic while still being near the center. Most game systems fall in the same area too, but there are rules for how the magic changes or affects things but the limits can be a bit hazy and undefined. In Dungeons & Dragons and other tabletop role-playing games, there's defined lore and even needed components needed to cast or use a spell. And that would kind of be the the runescape. Like, you have to have that component. You have to have that ritual. And it has, I'm sure, like, in order for a video game to work, you kind of have to be on the harder side. Yeah. So that makes sense. In Warhammer, both 40k and fantasy, it is much the same. Magic is defined by lore, a product of the warp, then split into disciplines or schools. Then it mostly needs to adhere to a specific rule set to function until it doesn't and a demon comes out and eats everyone's face in a five mile radius. Just like most game systems, there are things within Warhammer's fantasy system that allow the rules to be bent and its limits to be pushed. And in the case of the Skaven, one of those things, Warpstone, is extremely important. Yeah, and kind of before we get into Warpstone and how the Skaven military works, and so much of the Skaven's economy and military are based on manipulating and abusing Warpstone, we we really wanted to cover the basics of the Winds of Magic. We're going to give you a crash course in the Winds of Magic. That last photo you had? Yes, with all the... The centerpiece? I love all the painted wizards. 
Yeah. Oh, I love all those wizards too. I wish I had them all. But the centerpiece is right. actually in a piece of terrain that they used to make. And yes. I have the broken watchtower that that's in. Oh, nice. You know, the, the, Are you going to paint the, that up? It already is painted. It's been painted for years. Take pictures of it, man. Post it up. That means I have to go dig it out. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Chuck. Get to it. <laughs> yeah. So the Winds of Magic, also called the Aether. Aether. Yeah, I, I know what it is, but for whatever reason, like even though I said it in my head before I read it, my brain was like, no, you don't want to pronounce that word. <laughs> Also called the Aether, the Elemental Winds in Grand Cathay, or simply magic in most everyday use, the Winds of Magic is the very substance of chaos that flowed out across the mortal world from the realms of chaos. This ancient interdimensional force of emotionally charged and created energy could be tapped into by a skilled practitioner. These wizards, sorcerers, priests, and others could then use this power to manipulate and alter the very fabric of the natural world. The influence that this magic power has over the natural world is somewhat of a double-edged blade, both affecting one another in bizarre, unseen, and uncommon or random ways. Now, what I mean by double-edged blade there, double-edged sword there, is it's not only affecting the natural world when you cast magic, but it's changing the warp as well. It's changing both sides of the coin. While it's certain that magic will always have a change on the elements of the mortal realms, what those changes can be is a bit harder to predict. Magic bends and unbinds the physical laws of creation, physics, and can reform reality, even breaking those laws, again, physics, in the process. As the raw metaphysical immaterial chaos energy of the ether leaked from the chaos gates at each pole, it mixed with the physical material energy of the mortal world, creating a sort of mutable hybrid between materia and immateria and these split into eight distinct aspects which could be perceived and manipulated by those with the attuned or appropriate senses it is these eight types of magical energy which were categorized as colors by those with witch sight so witch sight is the inherent ability the born ability or the trained ability to actually like open your third eye in air quotes mm -hmm. to perceive this stuff in 40k legitimately open your third eye if you're navigator but <laughs> it was these colors that were known to the imperial colleges of magic as the so-called winds of magic and in general each could be predicted within its own category to a certain reasonable degree so as soon as you know what the colors are, as soon as you know what the winds of colors are, within a certain reasonable degree, it's like if you're using things from the wind, um, from the or fire, the orange wind, the fire, essentially the lore of fire. Um, I, mm. I know them more as their lores rather than their colors. But if you're using colors. something from the lore of fire, it's going to produce a fire or a destructive effect. Now, that fire could be green, that fire could be cold, that fire could be, you know, gibbering hordes of nurglings. However, that fire manifests is completely unpredictable. However, the damaging effects of fire hitting it, a fireball is going to do damage like a fireball, even if it looks like a giant Nurgling. cat just jumped, yeah, <laughs> jumped on the middle of the table and batted your figure over. It's, oh, it's still the damage of a fireball, essentially. I <laughs> don't care wings. how big the room is. I said, <laughs> cast fireball. Cast fireball. Fireball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Shadowrun exactly. has a lot of mechanics and a lot of rules for how like combat works. And um, 
casting fireball in a small room, also known in Shadowrun as throwing a grenade in a small room, creates an effect mm. that we call chunky salsa mm. because you stop being a person and you become chunky salsa. Uh, are you hot Fun. salsa? Are you, are you hot salsa? <laughs> it depends. Are you, mild? you know, if it's a <laughs> it depends on how spicy of a person you were. <laughs> While winds was the most common way to look at each of these aspects of refracted magic, it would be just as easy to look at them as flavors or schools of practical witchcraft. Across the known world, different terms were used to describe this same system. The Magister Alchemist of the Gold College used the term etheric humors, the hierophants of the College of Light refer to them as paradigms of magic, and the shamans of the Amber College would call them world dreamings. These untrained and wild spellcasters in the eyes of the Imperial Colleges might have known them as concepts, moods, vibrations, fluxes, tides, spirits, forces, or colors, although always divided into eight categories. Basically, what it was called depended heavily on personal experience, training, culture, and even the nature of the practitioner. Winds of Magic is the most widely agreed upon and Imperial Colleges approved terminology. Christ and Crocs. Terminology. <laughs> you cannot hit me with Christ and Crocs. And, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, That's my catchphrase, right? I fucking love it. That's amazing. That's great. Uh, it's important to note that regardless of the terminology used to separate them, the colors were consistent across all known traditions of arcane spellcraft. While those sensitive to magic might experience them widely differently, with experience and survival, the winds take on distinct and consistent colors. Even non-sanctioned and criminal practitioners such as hedge wizards, witches, black magisters, neuromancers, and warlocks generally use the terminology especially in the closing centuries of the world that was. Ne necromancers. Yeah, like Nagash and ne whatnot. Ne neuromancers are brain. Necromancers are dead. You said dead people and brain people. Did I say neuromancers? You did. <laughs> oh, good Lord. I was like, she's been reading William Gibson books. <laughs> I'm thinking of necrons. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, 100%. If they have those. The eight different winds of magic, their colors, and their lures of schools of magic were as followed. Akshi, the red wind, lore of fire. Azir, the blue wind, lore of heavens. Chamon, the yellow wind, lore of metal. Gur, the brown wind, lore of beasts. Girin, the green wind, lore of life. Haish, the white wind, lore of light. Shaiish, the purple wind, lore of death, and Olgu, the gray wind, lore of shadow. Cathayan wizards called the winds of magic the elemental winds. They matched up to the terminology of the old world. The elemental winds were water, lore of life, fire, lore of fire, wood, lore of beasts, metal, lore of metal, stone, lore of heavens, light, lore of light, spirit, lore of death, darkness, lore of shadow. There's a bit more to the Cathayan system, but we will get to that in another episode. Yeah, the Cathayans have dragons, and they also have, yep. they, don't, they don't view necromancy the same way. They basically view necromancy as like the balance of yin and yang. And it's, it's 
way more complicated. It would be its whole own discussion on just Cathay and magic. So when we cover Grand Cathay, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll, we'll get we there. We will get there. I yeah. promise. <laughs> the ones I like from playing are uh, Lord Death and Shadow. Yeah. Dark Elves. Yeah. Shaiish is dope. Shaiish is my realm. As far as uh, mm-hmm. we're not there, we're not in Age of Sigmar yet, but Shaiish is my jam. Um, I play, well, my main faction is Grave Lords. I guess I play Gloom, Git, Spites, and Ogres too, but Shaiish is my jam. I like Shaiish quite a bit. Azir. Really? All about that. Well, the lizards. Uh, that's, that's true. That's true. That's what croak. That's true. I, I hate to Az. admit it. I hate to admit it, but if I was to pick up Age of Sigmar. Based on models that I've seen, it would be the human corn crazy people. Oh yeah, the um, they're fun. They're fun. Or beasts, armies of darkness, beasts, or, slave, or slaves to darkness. Slaves to darkness. Slaves to darkness. Yes, I have a buddy that plays slaves to darkness, and they have cool shit. They've got some and really, really that's, cool. That's models. why I keep looking at the flesh eater courts too. The the vampire knights. Those are dope. The blood knights are some of my yes, favorite sculpts. The blood knights are so cool. I have new blood knights and old metal blood knights. Oh, I have actually, old metal um, wow. slanesh. Oh, nice. Oh, because I have the old metal blood knights? Yes. The old metal blood knights that'll, yeah. that'll slice yeah, your I'm... fingers off if you're not really careful assembling and, and, them. <laughs> and, and, and I remember when they came out and the price change happened and everybody lost their minds. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, were, they were a controversy before the age of Warhammer controversies. I really <laughs> like... I really like the the Slayer Dwarves too. Like now the the fire, the fire sla- not the fire Slayer fire Slayers, the fire the naked yeah. dwarves. Yeah, I like the fire Slayer Dwarves quite a bit. I just don't like the fact that they're all wearing helmets and masks. I wish there were unmasked, unhelmeted ones because Gotrick, being one of my favorite characters from the old world. In fact, he has a fire Slayer model because mm-hmm. Gotrick is around. He doesn't have a mat, and I kind of see Slayers as not wearing masks. I kind of mm-hmm. like that portion of their lore. But yeah, I think we've mentioned it before. So Gotrick survived somehow mm-hmm. and was basically well, woken he's back like up. Sigmar's best friend in the whole world. And then Felix is a Stormcast Eternal, but Gotrick doesn't know which Stormcast Eternal is Felix, and Felix doesn't remember his life from before being a Stormcast Eternal. So deeply sad yeah so there's a very besties yeah there's a very dark reckoning coming at some point in that story it'll it'll be interesting to see where the because they so there are gotrick stories in the age of sigmar they've started to release gotrick stories in the age of sigmar so yeah it'll Mm -hmm. be it'll be interesting gotrick is a very i know this is a weird parallel to make but gotrick is very much the um uh reboot gilliman in a lot of ways of the age of Sigmar side, because he was the, the hero that was wounded and like captain. And they woke him back up with Sigmar's that blah, 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 blah. Um, okay. He's now sidebar, back. Yes. Real quick. Cause I was thinking about this and maybe I haven't read the book yet, but what the fuck happened to Yvrain in the lore after she like helped bring Gilliman back? Do they just go, everything's cool. The Yanari are cool now by. So she helped bring, she helped bring Gilliman back and then mm. she left and the path that she took in the webway brought her to Cadia. Okay. And when she was on Cadia, she interacted with Trazen the Infinite uh-huh. and Trazen 
unpokeballed a bunch of people to help with the fall, like like with the fall of Cadia, essentially. Okay. He un he pokeballed a bunch of his collection out and was like, you know, Tanith troops use Lays Lasgun, and then they started shooting. Uh, one of the ones that he unboxed or uncorked was Inquisitor Grayfax, who was essentially completely fucking horrified by everything that was happening. Yeah. Because Inquisitor Grayfax is she is extremely puritan she is one of the most puritan inquisitors in the entire lore mm-hmm. but she kind of realized what was happening and what needed to happen in order for them to survive so yvrain's forces basically took a bunch of people from cadia that were down that were underneath where mm-hmm. treason and everything was near the webway back into the webway and that's kind of Without getting too deep into that entire story, that's kind of what happened. So is, she bopped out of the webway to Cadia, saved some people, and bopped away from Cadia, essentially. Is is that where okay. she's going to raise uh, Gilman's baby? I mean, I've only from been watching the memes. Side, from a meme side, I, funny. From a lore side, <laughs> technically the Eldari have more in common with uh, big game cats than they do with mammals. They so can't the, make... Uh, yeah, Eldari are essentially descended from like space lions. Like that. Like mm-hmm. if if lions developed opposable thumbs oh, and la-dee-da. evolved to the point of looking like humans, they would be Eldar. Eldar are cats. Like the end of the day, Eldar are cat people. They just don't have. They're not anime cat people. Like like just like you wouldn't say humans are ape people, and then we would wear ape ears and traipse around in ape costumes, trying to get Japanese boys to fall in love with us. Um, you wouldn't say that Eldari are cat people, but Eldari are descended from a feline species, just like humans are descended from an ape species, an ape-like species. So there's no genetic, compa- well, in theory, there's no genetic comp- compatibility. So did Trazen get them back all, or are they all like, no. out of his collection now? Um, he got some of his collection back, but uh, Inquisitor Grayfax Gray did not get re-Pokeballed. Okay. So one of the things that's interesting is that Trazen uses the mind control scarabs on a lot of the things in his collection. Mm-hmm. So even though he like un-Pokeballed stuff, he was telling them to fight. So ah, okay. in theory, when they were done, he re-Pokeballed them and threw them back into his collection. But Trazen, it's left up to the reader's interpretation, but it's suggested that Trazen used a lot of his collection in the battle. That used being that he didn't get them back. However, it's also heavily applied that Creed is now part of Trazen's collection because his Creed was essentially left alone on the planet. Trazen like walked out of the fog and was like, uh, yes, mere mortal come with me. What a fucking weirdo Trazen is. Trazen is awesome. I can't wait to cover Trazen. Trazen oh and uh, I can't remember the other one. They're, they're, they're basically, so there's a book, The Infinite and the Divine, that's uh-huh. Trazen and Omegon, or, Ormegon, mm-hmm. um, kind of going back and forth. And it yeah. literally, it's the two old men in the balcony seats in the Muppet show. Slatton and Walder, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Oh that's their relationship with each other. It's a really good book, The Infinite and the Divine. It's re- The lore is really good. The story is really good. But their entire relationship just makes me think of those two Muppet guys arguing with each oh, other constantly. 100%. Oh they fucking hate everybody. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of books. Each other. Uh, 
you, you would probably the infinite and the divine is really good the infinite and the divine features eldari exodites which are not talked about a lot in lore most of the book happens on an exodite world they come back to it like it the timeline is not like in the five years the timeline is literally like eighty thousand or eight hundred thousand years of history and it's just trazen and uh, what's his face kind of like bopping back to it every once in a while anyway okay. good Anyways. book We'll get there. Yvrain is getting her own thing at a certain point on the 40k side, and um, yeah, I, yeah, we still have to cover the Exodites, and we still have to co- f- uh, cover the Incarn. So yes, we'll get to them. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. So Warpstone and the Skaven economy. Are you ready? Are you ready for my ratty voice? I'll try not to do the Brooklyn rat, which I did yesterday in the <laughs> D&D game I'm running. Most precious of all substances, the pulse of our life. If the horned rat is our father, then surely Warpstone is our mother. Its uses are infinite. Like the heart of an endless fire it is. Even the smallest of pieces will continue to give power indefinitely, allowing many of our devices to become somewhat portable. Warpstone fire can not only consume of substance, but actually change its structure to far more than just burned due to exposure to its holy flames. Weapons made from warpstone produce their own poison. A warpstone charm brings real luck, changing what was to be to what might have been, with none being the wiser. So where does it come from? There are those among our more superstitious folk and a few foolish graciers that believe Warstone is the leavings of the horned rat. I subscribe to the secular view that it's chunks of the dark moon, more skirt, which has managed to gift us with pieces of its essence. Dangerous it is to touch Warpstone often, but that's what slaves are for. Yes, yes. That's Narshift, Warlock Engineer of Clan Skyrim. More skirt is the Skaven name for Mornsleeb. Ah, so I should have said Morskrit Mango when we were talking about warp juice. Well, we're we're captured surface dwellers that That's are being true. forced. Yeah, we're a goblin, we're... a skink, who, who says we're a being dark forced? elf. <laughs> That's true. That is true. I think Marky <laughs> likes it. I don't know if I do. I'm a lizard. Marky's upset that he's captured as an orc, but he does get to fight a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> Known as Abana Kanat, meaning the burning stone to the ancient Nahakaran. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but I'm going with it. Abnikat. Fine. <laughs> Out Egypt me on my own <laughs> chosen chunk of ancient history. Why don't you? I'm going to go cry. I'm going to go cry <laughs> into my papyrus scrolls now. <laughs> It means I'm sad in Egyptian. <laughs> it's just it's just old one eye tearing into a bunch of papaya. I'm sorry. I just had to. It's how, it's how old one eye cleans up. What? Just rubs papyrus on his head. If you have no idea what we're talking about, for three, six, or nine dollars, you could watch the Patreon content where you get oh all God. these cool inside jokes. It's like you're right here in the room with us. Oh my God. And let's just say, let's just say it was an inside joke. <laughs> I'm fucking dying. <laughs> 
And who yeah. said who said we weren't a comedy podcast? Oh, me when I registered. Us. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's some good All warp right. stone right there. <laughs> that's some good Known stuff. Is abnachat meaning burning stone to the ancient Nahakaran? The substance known most commonly as warp stone has many other names, including weird stone, seer stone, black stone, foul stone, witch stone, and even God's stone to the Skaven. This bright emerald green crystalline substance is solidified, condensed, and pure chaos energy pulled directly from the ether. Since chaos is the driving force behind the winds of magic, Warpstone is basically a physical manifestation of pure magic. So it doesn't really fall into any of the winds, the colors that we talked about, the lores we talked about. It's all of them condensed into one thing. While most magic that flowed out of the polar gates of the old ones was divided into the eight colors or schools we just covered, some of that energy was too potent to be dispersed, and that's what became Warpstone, essentially. Pulverized and powdered warpstone would descend from the northern wastes of the old world in furious storms of dark magic, which spread terror and destruction on the lands in their path, unless the dark elves got them and they apparently just snorted all the time. I mean, there you go. (laughs) Despite this, warpstone is actually incredibly rare, often falling to earth in the form of meteorites, many of which had broken off of the sinister chaos moon of Mornsleeb with much of those falling into the harsh landscapes known as the Darklands. Powerful wizards and sorcerers could also focus their energy on a particularly powerful flow of the winds of magic and use that energy to crystallize their own warpstone in mitre quantities. Being the very substance of pure magic, warpstone was highly coveted by magical practitioners, alchemists, and sorcerers. It could turn lead into gold, heal the sick and the wounded, and be a power of terrible destruction. Since most warp stone was found in meteorites or in deposits found on or under the world's surface, it was often irregular in shape and size and required a certain amount of mining and refinement. It held facets like the hard surface or face of flint and radiated a black and queasy greenish glow. It was also slightly warm to the touch and it was odorless and tasteless, although it was the stuff of pure chaos, and even ingesting a pinch of the stuff could cause catastrophic warping of the body and mind. Unrefined warpstone was highly toxic to all living things, with prolonged exposure leading to madness, mutation, illness, and eventually death. Prolonged consumption led to addiction, just like any other natural drug. However, it was an addiction that could never be overcome and would consume those it affected to their graves. That's okay. The, ma- the master gives me plenty of it. The master gives me plenty. The master gives me plenty of it as long as the master's happy. <laughs> as long as you wear the gimp suit. <laughs> the, green, the green the gimp suit. I think we've kind of talked about it in the past. The Warp gimp stone suit is, v- is not green. The ball piece <laughs> is green. Oh, okay. Just the oh. mouthpiece. Ah, that makes mm. sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think we've kind of talked about it in the past. Warpstone is a pretty clear analogous material to like radium or any other like plutonium, uranium, any sort of like highly radioactive rock. It just has all of those little extras. It it's the comic book version of radioactive rock, where like the rock glows. Because um, a little bit of an insight into science. Radioactive substances don't glow. <laughs> Some of them glow when they react poorly to the chemicals around them, but on their own, none of none of this stuff has like none of this stuff in the real world has its own glow. 
And warp stone is kind of that like um like gamma radiation turned Bruce Banner into the Hulk. It's that style of like comic book understanding or comic book playing around with the physics of radiation. And a it, lot of it's ways. just to make you aware that there's something going on. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the physical indication. In the fiction, specifically or especially, I guess not specifically, but especially in the Gotrick and Felix books, since they take place kind of in the lead up to the end times. There are a lot of like wizards, like hedge wizards and like, so to speak, illegal practitioners of magic, as Emmy had mentioned earlier, a lot of those kind of people that consume warpstone and they're, you know, they'll, they'll take a little bit of pinch of snuff or whatever. And then it'll be revealed later that their robes or their nice clothing is hiding things like uh, chaos oh. manifestations on their chests and stuff. Uh, there's a guy who's addicted to warp snuff in Nuln, who has a bunch of tentacles on his chest. The stigmata uh-huh. of Slanish. So yeah, ingesting it screws you up. Is but that it's what not... all those Nurgle guys that have like the tentacles poking out under shit? Or is this just a straight up Nurgle thing that he's Nurgling about? A lot of that Nurgle stuff doesn't have so much to do with Warpstone. That has more to do with like the the like wormy decay side of stuff. Okay. This was yeah. like, those are all kind of like intestine colored tentacles. Yes. These were like hentai purple. colored tentacles. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, they're purple. Yeah. yeah. Purple, I purple, paint black. my Nurgle tentacles with Bugman's glow. Nice. Those, yeah. look, those probably look sick. Sometimes I add a little Magos violet over the top. It makes it look extra gross. You got to. You got to make it just look a little extra. Always. Mm-hmm. Well, most of the races of the known world had a complicated relationship with Warpstone to the Skaven, it was a literal gift from the gods, and they wouldn't hesitate to use it. In fact, it formed the backbone of their entire economy and was widely used in the technological and military pursuits of the Under Empire. The basics of the economic system in the Under Empire are simple. The strongest took everything they wanted. In practice, whenever plunder was taken, the warlord, chieftain of Greyseer leading the raiding force, would have the first and largest pick of the loot. Whatever they left behind was then divided up first by the other more powerful warriors with the scraps being left for the lowest. Foodstuff, however, was more evenly distributed, meaning that the fiercest of clans or raiding parties became the best fed. This time also meant that they had the best weapons and armor as well. Another part of this basic system meant that the more powerful the warrior, the more likely they had wealth for their own den and even their own personal breeders. Being able to farther their own litters removed from the rest of Skavendom, trade and barter were also not uncommon, but when it came to large quantities of arms, armor, and slaves. But as we mentioned, the currency of the under-empire was warpstone and was used in every level of public and private commercial transaction. It was used in exchange for goods, weapons, armor, slaves, mates, and when it came to hiring out mercenaries or assassins, even playing a part in the political arena in a form of bribes and other sorts of subterfuge. A skaven of considerable wealth could even found his own shop specializing in any number of goods, be they specialized mutated living weapons or more mundane things. Nothing had a set price, things were sold to the highest bidder or to the skaven with the most advantageous trade. These shops were also highly competitive with each trying to ensure their monopoly in the economic system of the Under Empire. Whether they constantly moved to outdo or outbid one another to openly move to sabotage, assassinate, 
and even burn down their rivals, often openly. These shops also often fall along clan lines, so a clan molder shop would have specialized in selling war beasts, while clan Rekik might trade solely in non-skaven slaves. The shopkeepers of these shops, by virtue of being some of the most wealthy, were also some of the, the best hagglers and barterers of the Skaven race. Skaven merchants were often known for their fat-bellied and well-fed appearance, along with their collection of non-Skaven luxury goods such as exotic weapons and fine silks. Kind of like the merchants of every other race. Like merchant, the merchant class always kind of seems to like have the finer things. Yeah, they're the exactly. NFT bros. The, the NFT bros. Yeah, but the Skaven, by and large, have the most warp stone. Um, yes, because they're in the under empire. Under underground is where the majority of warp stone deposits are, and the Skaven basically covet it really, really hardcore. So when we talked about warp stone being kind of this scarce commodity, that's the surface world. Most of it is trapped in this economic system. It's mm-hmm. like it's like teeth for orcs. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. It just just instead of decaying over time, it decays the people that hold it over time. <laughs> the Skaven military. The Skaven were an evil force, full of schemes and nefarious hidden agendas, forgotten and unseen below the lands of all people. Even for all their impatience, they were able to bide their time, having ground down the ancient dwarf holds over centuries of focused aggression and hate. They corrupted and poisoned the lands of Lustria and reduced the Empire, the greatest human nation in the Old World, to starvation and ruin. No other army within the known world could have ever hoped to match their pure numbers. When the Skaven did abandon their secretive and often fracturous ways to make war on the surface world, it was with vicious, lightning-fast attacks. Nightmarish scenes of rolling tides of verminous ratmen would blanket the land. For an individual Skaven warrior was little match against an individual warrior of another race. Their natural cowardice meant that they would be more prone to flee than fight unless they were cornered. However, to a Skaven, there was only one racial strength they could rely on, and that was overwhelming numbers. Like a seething chaotic ocean, the Skaven would launch wave after wave of troops at the enemy, following a simple battle plan. Expend the least valuable troops first in combat, wearing them down, tiring their resolve. Only then would the true warrior elite strike, aiming to land a final killing blow. In this process, Skaven slaves would be the first driven into the enemy lines, followed by clan rats with slightly better armor and weapons, with storm vermin making up that third wave. As the core of most Skaven armies, by the time the storm vermin took to the field, the enemy was already reeling. Mixed among these waves would come specialist troops, taking advantage of the overwhelming mass and confusion. Specially trained mercenaries, swarms of giant rats, mutant abominations, and fanatical plague monks all weaving themselves into these first two waves. All while silent assassins sowed havoc behind enemy lines, and warp lightning, gouts of warp fire, poisoned mortar globes, and other arcane engines unleashed hell overhead. Regardless of whether the Skaven Horde was slain or remained victorious, just as fast as the Flood had appeared, they would again vanish into their subterranean layers. Once more out of sight, after only a few years, they would pass into legend and rumor once again. The truth of their existence was left only in the scarred memories of those who had the misfortune to survive their assaults, either physically or mentally broken. 
I, I really, I, the, the thought, the unclean made me laugh quite a bit, by the way. I don't know if you guys read it. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> that is so Don't take funny. use vaccine. Eat feed on Warpstone. Yeah. <laughs> like, Big, Jesus large Christ, pharma. Yes. Big large pharma will give you Warpstone. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. The, the most toxic substance in all of uh, the, the entire universe. Here is a look at the infantry troops and their weapons, all of which were in the line during fantasy battle, which, of course, if you are a Patreon member, you would be able to see this right now. Slave rats. Although not officially considered a part of the army, the slave rats of many clans still played a vital role during the heat of battle. Their purpose is to swarm headlong against the enemy's front lines a screen of bodies aimed to tire out while absorbing much of the battle's early fury while the more proper soldiers of the clan rush in afterward to support them. They would also do menial tasks when not on the battlefield, including mining, tunneling, or even becoming reserve food supply for the Skaven army. You then imagine that being the, in your uh, job description? <laughs> yeah. Mm. We like, might... We might That's what's you. in the fine print, yeah. In the fine print, we yeah, get hungry, we eat you. It's at the bottom it's of the contract. Any other duties necessary, and they just really push that envelope. <laughs> right? I know all about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the clan rats. Clan rats form the bulk of most Skaven armies. These were Skaven who rose to aid their clan during times of war, not professional soldiers usually lightly armored and used a variety of weapons and armor scavenged or looted from many areas they had previously raided for goods and weapons. Then we have the Storm Vermin. These powerful Skaven warriors had been raised from infancy to be the most deadly killers and soldiers in the entire Skaven horde. Storm Vermin were often most naturally Blackford Skaven, their fur marking them as perfect warriors in their society. They would also be heavily armored given the best food and gear available to them and live much more luxurious lives than the ordinary clan rat. These troops were only committed after the battle and had turned bad for the Skaven, and the need for more hardened warriors was required to ensure victory, or when it was time to deliver the killing blow. Then we have Plague Monks. The most common infantry fielded by clan pestilence, these groups of fanatics are utterly dedicated to spreading their corruption within the enemy ranks. When they neared the enemy, the monks would go into a fanatical frenzy, killing their enemy with rusted swords and iron-tipped staffs, infecting those they hurt with unimaginable diseases due to their diseased bulk, plague monks could survive injuries that would normally kill an ordinary skaven. Plague Sensor Bearers a plague sensor was a hollow spiked metal ball attached to a lengthy chain used as a weapon by the plague sensor bearers. Within the hollow spikes were lethal doses of warpstone and vile contagions that released a foul greenish cloud that would cause flesh to erupt into sores and fluid filled blisters. Sensor bearers were fanatical in combat, never faltering or retreating as they continued on their murderous rampage until every one of them had been cut down. And we have Night Runners. The Night Runners were the rank-and-file soldiers of Clan Eshin. Lightly armed and armored to take advantage of their tremendous speed and agility, the Night Runners excelled at flanking maneuvers and lightning-fast attacks. 
they didn't last long against heavily armed or armored opponents that were kept in a reserve role. Despite their limitations, they were often thrown into the fray as necessary, their lives sacrificed en masse. Gutter runners. Gutter runners were the elite skirmishers and scouts, second only to Eshin's assassins in the art of stealth and speed. Pulled from the ranks of apprentices that had survived tutelage as night runners, their attacks were quick and effective, frustrating their enemies as the gutter runners appeared, attacked, and vanished in a flash of smoke or a splash of shadow. I absolutely love that Like to become a night runner, you have to... Or to become a gutter runner, you have to survive being a night runner. Oh, yeah. If you make yeah. it, if you live. <laughs> yeah, that's how you get promoted. Right, right. What a system. And then the best, the best ones get to go on to be uh, playing Blood Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right, because they've got, they've got a couple of different ones. Uh, what other guys made it over to Blood Bowl? I know Rat Ogres did. We haven't talked about him yet, but I know Rat Ogres did. Yeah, it's, I, is that I think pretty much it? That's pretty much it. I mean, you know, there's clan rats; those are just the linemen, right? Mm-hmm. But but the skill the skilled ones, there's there's the gutter runners, and they're like uh, in Blood Bowl. For those of you that play that, they're the most annoying model ever because they have like a nine square movement that they move a lot. That makes sense. They moved quite a bit in uh, fantasy too. They're also one of the cores for Mordenheim, which we made a reference to in our opening, which takes place in this world. It takes place in the same world. Uh, it happened. Mordenheim fell or was hit by the twin-tailed comet in 1999 IC. So about four or five hundred years, five, five, six hundred years before the end time started. But in Mordenheim, the game night runners and gutter runners are like the, the they they clean up they really do uh people don't people don't like them you guys have any favorites out of everything we've talked about so far yet i love clan eshin i just think they're super cool the night runners are super cool and the gutter runners are super cool yeah yeah you like love the storm vermin? ninja rats yeah yeah, yeah i mean if i had to be badass. if i had to be in that society it'd be a storm vermin I mean, Marky would, Marky would be one of the breeders. I'd be a storm burden. So there you go. <laughs> Is that what happens? Because he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> that's what he said we last time say. we talked about this. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's very true. I remember that. You're not, you're not worried about getting murdered. You're just on drugs, popping out kids. He's like, that's like the best life ever. Uh- I, I think it would be just as bad. I, like, I honestly think that all of that stuff would just carry over. It's got to be the same rat race, excuse me, on each side, right? Like, I mean, maybe I, I'm being I, a little too tongue-in-cheek I, by calling it a I rat race. Know, but... So next up, we have the Packmasters. So Packmasters were the trainers and handlers of Clan Mulder's various war beasts and hulking monstrosities. These specially trained Skaven were experts at goading their charges, ferocious, half-mad creatures who can turn an attack with no warning. Packmasters were themselves cagey and fierce warriors, or they would quickly end up as another meal for their merciless packs. It was a common practice for Clan Mulder to sell both beasts and Packmaster handlers to the highest bidder. And that That's a pretty big through line we kind of talked about it a little bit when we covered the economy but in the 
Skaven world, everything is for sale. Then we have the Poisoned Wind Globrideers, similar in appearance to Warlock Engineers, and in some cases, Engineers themselves. Globrideers were one of the later additions to Clan Scray's biological weaponry. They used the deadly Poisoned Wind Globes and were trained to throw these vile glass orbs at the thickest of the fighting, maximizing their devastating spread. Those models are awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got a handful of them. I'm, I'm, they're getting repainted. They've, they've been stripped. They're on the table to get repainted. So next up, we have weapon teams. So Clan Skyre also made use of specialized groups of Skaven engineers to handle and deploy ranged weaponry to the front lines. These weapon teams would be attached to other blocks of infantry to provide clan rats with much-needed firepower. So a lot of times, just to clarify something that we said earlier, a lot of times clan Eshin would weave their troops into even the slaves. But everything we've talked about that isn't Clan Eshin only really would attach themselves to Storm Vermin or to Clan Rats. Only Eshin would weave themselves into the slaves. And they would do it because then they could like end up behind enemy lines and do worse shit. Warp Fire Thrower is the first one we're going to talk about. So excuse me for jumping a little bit in line there. One of the deadliest handheld weapons in Clan Skyer's arsenal, this weapons team had within their possession an extremely potent and dangerous piece of machinery. The Warpfire Thrower was a very crude handheld flamethrower that showered its targets in a whirlwind of greenish flame fueled and fed by Warpstone. So this is like Warpstone flame licking across the battlefield. And if you've played... Uh, the Vermintide games, it sucks to fight these. Next up, we have the Warplock Gisales. When the need for a more precise shot was required, most clans would deploy the deadly Warplock Gisales team to pick off key individuals within an enemy's army. Gisales were sniper teams of two highly trained Skaven used for assassinating priority targets over extreme distances. Their rifles, called Gisales, had the longest range of any rifle in the old world, due in part to the dangerous use of warpstone bullets as their main source of ammunition. Oh boy. Yeah, they're BS in game. BS. Yeah. Yeah, they have the they have got the biggest range increment. Oh, has to be. Next is the rattling gun. This multi barreled whirling death machine was one of Clan Skyer's later inventions. It proved so successful and deadly the, to the warlord clans of Clan Skyre that it was always seen on the field of battle. Much like the Giselles, these guns fired chunks of warpstone across the field. However, they sacrificed range for rate of fire. As you can see, all of these have been, or so far, every single one of these have been two-man teams. There's usually a Skaven operating the weapon and then another Skaven supporting them in some way. With the Giselles, there's one guy holding a shield. The other guy is kind of shooting over him, so the shield is stabilizing. With the Rattling Gun, there's one rat in the front that cranks the Gatling Gun portion, and then there's another one in the back that essentially makes sure that it's continuously fed with ammunition, stuff like that. Poisoned Wind Mortar, mobile light artillery, which focused on launching slightly larger poisoned wind globes. So just like the Poison Wind Globe Ladiers we talked about earlier, they essentially had handheld balls that they would throw these guys have like slightly bigger like basketball sized globes that they throw through a mortar these projectile launchers were strapped to the back of the lead globe radier 
which aimed and fired the weapon, while another globe of deer would keep it loaded with ammunition. The mortar would lob the globe at a longer distance than a globe of deer could throw one, giving the weapons team both the range and mobility needed to support frontline troops. So in this particular case, there's one rat with this giant mortar on his back, usually in the front, and then there would be another rat behind him or near him next to him that was carrying the ammo. So he would have all of the the various football or basketball sized globes and then, you know, shoot one off, load another one in, shoot one off, load another one in. Also seems very dangerous. This is the way that you like lose your entire body in an accident. In in a lot of your uh, slave wraps melt away indiscriminately too. Right. So last up in the team weapons is the warp grinder. This is a smaller variant of a similar machine originally meant to carve tunnels within the earth with relative ease. This is something that the Skaven used to allow swift passages of whole Skaven armies. While the original sized machines were larger than the biggest of Empire warships, the smaller version acted as a portable handheld solution. It fulfilled the same purpose, but it could also become a weapons platform in a pinch. Being used to chew through frontline infantry, it was still bulky enough to require a two-skaven team to operate, one that held the drill or grinder piece, and another to support the portable warpstone furnace. And this is a mining implement, so this is something that they would use to like drill out a single-man tunnel or something. And then they just found out, oh, well, if we, if we run the... <laughs> A giant drill through the guys in the front. It's just as bad. <laughs> they, yeah, they got all the heavy cavalry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Well, that's like a unique thing for an AOS army for them to have these long range kind of shooty weapons, which, you know. Pretty unique back in the day, too. Is, is that I not still a thing think in they Age of now? the same slot as the Tau. The yeah. lizard people definitely have some pretty long range stuff, too. Who else does? Because I feel like it's not just the the lizard guys. Um, A couple of the Nurgle wizards have a pretty long range for their stuff. Okay. But there's like no more cannons? Even still kind of long range guys. Yep. Yeah. That's true. And there's units that exist in Age of Sigmar that we're not going to talk about that we're not covering right now with the Skaven like Storm Fiends we're not talking about because they didn't exist in fantasy right. they weren't a unit yet mm-hmm. um, so anything like that just just be kind of aware that we're not going to bring it up right and of course the Skaven used all sorts of beasts of war artillery and other war machines bringing quite a few big party tricks out whenever they swarmed for one giant rats the most common and cheapest commodity of Clan Molder, these creatures might have looked like normal rats at a distance. On closer inspection, they had a variety of mutations, a staple of Clan Molder expertise. The Master Molders had unlocked the secrets of breeding, mutating, and surgically augmenting the common rat into a fearsome beast. Standing bigger than the average dog, these rats had a variety of features that only increased their effectiveness in combat including extra heads, oversized incisors or claws, spiked tails, and even strong bony armor plates. The more mutated ones had exposed ribs, massive boils, and even skinless flesh. Then we have the Rat Ogres, the most infamous of Clan Mulder's many creations. These beasts were one of the largest and most fearsome creations at their disposal. 
These beasts stood taller than two men and had enough strength and muscle to fight off a whole company of soldiers. A rat ogre was to an ogre what an ordinary skaven was to a human. Usually covered with stitches, their clan molder masters had added modifications to their already formidable bulk, either adding large saw-like blades, weapon attachments, or even extra arms to those few skaven warlords willing to pay a few extra warp tokens. Hell Pit Abomination, the greatest monster clan molder had ever birthed. Oh my god, the picture's up. That's horrifying. Oh yeah, the Hell Pit Abominations are crazy. Ah, these monstrosities towered over other creations of clan molder's long diabolic history. These massive beasts stood taller than eight men and were many times stronger, becoming an engine of destruction that was unstoppable on the battlefield, with many not having the courage to gaze upon them. Then we have the Plague Claw Catapult. For many years, clan pestilence worked day and night to, bring a, to perfect a disease that would rid the world of all surface dwellers and bring about the conquest of the Skaven cause. As a byproduct of that process, they created many virulent brews that provided valuable as, rep- as weapons all their own. And much like plague-riddle corpses sent over the walls, these could be catapulted into the enemy directly or used during a siege. Then we have the Warp Lightning Cannon. The Warp Lightning Cannon was the pinnacle of Skaven ingenuity, a marvel of both magical and scientific engineering. This machine had the power to fire a concentrated blast of pure warp lightning into the heart of an enemy, a blast potent enough to breach even castle walls. When fired, the lightning arced earthwards towards its target before it erupted into a ball of warp lightning upon impact. So fast was the shot that it could only be identified by the vapor trail left in the shot's wake. There are a lot of uh, tongue twisters in the Skaven line. Yes. Yes, there are. I will say, I think I said already, when something would explode on the tabletop, that was the most fun one to watch. I really like... the most hated. Oh, yeah. I really like a lot of this stuff that Clan Skyr makes. Um, Probably my favorite army, or not army, but army stuff. It's what I ran. When I ran... Scatterbolt's Vermintide. Scatterbolt was my named, um, my custom named, I should say, Warplock Engineer. So I ran a lot of this stuff. Uh, I have three of the old Warp Lightning Cannons. I absolutely love them. I think they're cool as shit. I know that there is a new one, and I know a lot of people like the new stuff. In fact, I think the new cl- uh, Plague Claw Canapult is the same kit as the Warp Lightning canon you can make one or the other one of the things we're not going to talk about because it's a legendary relic is the screaming bell but the screaming bell is another engine of destruction bell yeah so So the screaming bell was a plague monk weapon and as we mentioned in a past episode covering the skaven all screaming bells have a portion of the bell tower in them somewhere like that's part of their lore but they would basically be led in front of the army to kind of like stir everyone up and they, they could do a bunch of other stuff. I think now, can't the Screaming Bells make like gnaw pits in Age of Sigmar? Can't they like summon rats? Mm-hmm. Okay. And are they plague rats that they summon? I'm not, 
As much Skaven old fantasy lore as I know, I know comparatively little when it comes to Age of Sigmar, which is weird. You'd think I would know more. I know way more about Grave Lords. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they are playgrounds. I may be wrong. I'm sure somebody will politely well actually me in the comments if I am wrong. I know in fantasy, the screaming bell was a clan pestilence thing. I know. I like yeah, 100% it was. know that. Yeah. I've got oh, one. Oh, absolutely it was. I've got yeah. one. But I'm not sure what place they hold now. Like most of the armies of Warhammer Fantasy Battle, the Skaven also had lords and heroes, both named and unnamed, that would join with their forces. So first up is the Vermin Lord. I just put up if for three, six or nine dollars. That's the super old Vermin Lord. He I have one of these guys and he's probably still my one of my most prized single models i absolutely love this guy um i paint he's entirely metal including his base he's one of those that came with the metal square base or pewter square base uh he was a lot of fun to paint i've posted him a couple of times if i if i can remember i'll post him up again but uh, if you guys want to if if you're listening and you don't have access to our Patreon content, you can look me up on Instagram, UHM underscore Goblin King, and my Vermin Lord is in there, um, as well as you could join our Discord, and you could ask me, you could pester me. The Vermin Lords are living icons of ruin, towering figures possessing a raw power and feral savagery. As avatars of the Horned Rat, they could call upon fell energies and manipulate the weak-willed into doing almost anything they desired. There's a couple of different models of them. This was the, the Forge oh, the World newer? model had kind of oh, a different pose. World. That's, That's the Forge cool. World one. Yeah, he, he almost kind of looks like a Broodlord, the Gene Stealer cult in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So next up is the Skaven Warlord. So the Skaven Warlord is the supreme leader of the clan or warhorse. These Skaven proved their brutality and willingness to do anything for victory, even stabbing their lesser commanders in the back when necessary. Leading from the back, a nice safe place from which they could watch the flow of battle and decide where their sword arm was needed most. Then we have Grey Seers. Grey Seers are powerful sorcerers capable of channeling eldritch energies in destructive ways, leveling armies with lightning or summoning ravenous swarms of rats. These were chief agents of the Horned Rat and wielded tremendous influence amongst the Warlord clans. Only a fool would ignore their counsel. Warlock Engineers. The notorious engineers of Clan Skyr were among the greatest minds in the entire Under Empire. These tinkerer rats were the artificers of Skaven society, blending arcane sorceries with the mad science and the creation of some of the deadliest machines ever invented in the world. When not manning war machines or watching over weapons teams, the ordinary warlock engineer also had the power to channel and cast the winds of magic in the traditional ways of all other races. You would usually take a warlock engineer and a gracier, or usually I would take, I guess is how I should say, I would take a war, two warlock engineers and a gracier, but a lot of people would run a gracier, a plague priest, and a warlock engineer was really common back in the day. I don't know mm-hmm. what you remember encountering, Chuck, and I don't know yeah, how was, they're run currently I think, at I all. I think it was, back then it was all based on, uh, like, if you're super normal warriors, you know, you had the the regular warlord and vermin lord and maybe engine seers. I mean, if you're right. pushing magic, ooh, it's all gray seers, baby. Well, and that was the way to do it. You wanted to mix pushing magic and not... 
Have you, so in Age of Sigmar, which again, we're not really covering a lot of, but in Age of Sigmar, Emmy, have you faced a lot of Skaven players yet? No. I know Skaven are really popular, but I know that they're also not necessarily always represented. Not represented. Very popular, of course, in the video games. But on tabletop, I find that right now what's hot is um, a lot of the Chaos Demons armies. I see a lot of okay. like demons of Zinch. I see a lot of demons of Slanish. And um, of course, because it's still real hot, the Gargants. Got you. Got you. Okay. It's interesting because I know that a lot of people have a lot of love for the, the Skaven. It, it's making me think that I need to eventually run my Skaven in Ancient Sigmar, too. It's just, I'm getting the They're feeling fun. that it's time. They just, they don't make it to tabletop. Um, I would love to because I think technically right now you can run Nurgle Mortals with some of Skaven Clan Pestilence. So I think it would be sick to like throw the bell in with some Nurgle Mortal models because those Nurgle, like the the Plague Drones are incredible. They're like my favorite unit to field with the Nurgle Mortals. There is a guy locally who does exactly that. That's his, he plays in the Age of Sigmar. Um, again, I, I pretty much just play my Grave Lords, but the, he's played Nurgle and Skaven mixed together a couple of times. Mm-hmm. He's done some really like disgusting on tabletop things too. Like that that's way too many units. Oh, How yeah, did you, you do can that? Do disgusting on tabletop stuff with that combo of things. Plague priests were another hero unit. The rank of plague priests was one of the highest obtainable ranks within clan pestilence, with the only one being higher at that of plague lords. Those were the most senior of Plague Priests. So we talked about that last time. Plague Lords, Lords of Decay. There's a lot of names that are kind of the same. Lords of Decay or anybody on the Council of Thirteen, they get the honorific Lords of Decay. Plague Lords are the leaders of Clan Pestilence. So you could be a Plague Lord who is a Lord of Decay. (laughs) But if you're just the highest echelon of Plague Priests, you could also be a Plague Lord. It doesn't necessarily mean you're on the Council. It's just a, a, a title. These Skaven had a deep understanding of the foul magic their clan had harnessed over the ages. Capable magicians who could vomit geysers of lethal substances or curse their foes from afar, making them erupt into putrid boils. Very, very nurgly. Eshin assassins. These were highly trained specialists capable of infiltrating virtually any fortress and eliminating any enemy. The Council of Thirteen regularly used them to eliminate rebellious warlords and disloyal graciers. Their services could also be sold to whoever could afford the price demanded by Clan Eshin. They were also excellent saboteurs, often burning ships or homes or poisoning wells and food supplies of major cities. They operate almost completely alone and would even conceal themselves inside regular Skaven infantry units to better slay an enemy champion amidst the confusion of battle. Using Eshin assassins to do single called combat was a trick back in ninth, uh, eighth, not ninth, mm. excuse me, in eighth. Mm-hmm. Yep. And last, we've got the lowly, humble Skaven chieftain. Also called clan chieftains, these Skaven were amongst the highest ranking warriors within a given Skaven clan, and they were often given control over a smaller segment of the clan to rule as they see fit. So this would kind of be like if the clan chieftain, not the clan chieftain, if the clan warlord, if the Skaven warlord of the clan is the king, then the chieftains are like the 
the dukes and the various vassals underneath them, essentially. Mm-hmm. So there are a host of infamous Skaven heroes, such as Gracie or Thankwell, who have stories all of their own. And just like we've been covering in the Warhammer 40k universe, we will be back with a Warhammer fantasy version of the heroes as well. There is a named Skaven hero, and you're just dying to hear about him. We will, in fact, bring him up at a certain point. Uh, there's also everything in Age of Sigmar we will cover when we are at the army factions for Age of Sigmar. So if we left out a unit that you really like, like Storm Fiends, for example, don't worry, we'll be back. Also, named special heroes like Bone Ripper would fall into that Gracie or Thankwell category. When we talk about Gracie or Thankwell, we'll probably talk about Bone Ripper because Bone Ripper is usually owned by Gracie or Thankwell. So mm-hmm. just like we do Heroes of 40K, we will be doing a Heroes of Fantasy If you guys want to get involved with that, by the way, that is actually one of the things that we let our patrons decide. So we put up a list of heroes and we let the patrons vote on which order we cover them in. For the most part, we break that rule every once in a while because we need to cover something in the flow of the story. But uh, if you guys want, you guys got those Skaven heroes you want to hear about, either reach out to us or join us on Patreon. That will wrap it up completely for our coverage of Lore on the Skaven. And we will be jumping to our next faction probably in a couple of weeks or a couple of months um, because we did quite a few episodes in a row and we've got some more Horus Heresy territory to cover. And we will also be doing some fun Loris Obscurus stuff. Emmy will be, Emmy already actually shared some Loris Obscurus stuff with us, so we're hoping to get her back for another episode. If you would mm-hmm. like to get into contact with us about the show, or you have any questions about this specific episode, you can reach out to us by email at underthehiveofmadness at gmail.com. You can also join our community on Discord. There you can find topics on the lore, hobby, and tactics of Warhammer 40k, as well as other nerdy things such as Warhammer Age of Sigmar, Magic the Gathering role-playing games, video games, and so much more. I can be found on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and threads at Coral Pecan. More details about our shows can be found on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website under the hive of madness.com. Help the podcast grow by liking and reviewing us wherever you get your podcast fix. Those Spotify and Apple podcast reviews help our show grow and get more ears on our content. You can also find us on Google, Audible, and many, many more. Check out our partners and Probable Wargaming over on YouTube. They stream live battle reports covering Horus Heresy, Kill Team, and 40K. As always, spellings and links to most of what we just talked about will be down in the show notes. You can also support us on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash under the hive of madness. All Patreon members get access to full video podcasts with minimal editing, so you can see our beautiful faces and hear all of our amazing blunders. And Marnie's Calgar-themed pickup lines. (laughs) No! No! Yeah! (laughs) Yeah! Oh, yeah! Oh, no! Oh, yeah! (laughs) The Marnie's Calgussie, if you will. I broke Ryan. All right. All (laughs) Patreon levels get access to our quarterly painting contests. Plus, we have perks at higher levels. So go on over and check it out. Oh, my God. I need to breathe. Breathing is important (laughs) to human function.
<laughs> yes. <sighs> News from the Marienburg front. Widget Scar Snout's triple barrel warp lightning cannon has suffered another catastrophic failure, this time consuming more than half of his war host. Sounds like somebody might no longer be on the horned rat's good side. Infecting the squeakrencies with our very own brand of blasphemy, we are 665.66UHMR Radio Free Skaven Blight, reminding all of you tunnel rats, city mice, and warp lickers to keep those cathodes dialed in right here to the truest of ratty frequencies. Yes, yes! Warlord Krizik for 20 pledge! Of just 200 slaves, 12 claws of warp tokens, a breeder, and certain alliances and pledges. One of our very, very finest clan molder ogres can be yours. Clan molder, Hagelmaster. <laughs> I fucking love it. Yeah. I fucking love it. Good rat voice. That's my, uh, yeah. That's, that's my uh, chamber pot voice. For our D and D, perfect. It, I I love it. And and with that, all of you fine people, remember to read a motherfucking book. <laughs> Valiant about my goddamn it. Wow. Valius Calgusi. Cal- How did you say Matt, it? The Marnius Calgusi. Calgusi will come for you. <laughs> Marnius Calgusi pickup lines. Oh my god.